What's up, everyone? Welcome back for another episode of Questions You Never Thought to Ask, the Whitewater Kayaking Podcast. Really fun episode this week. I think you're going to enjoy. But just before we get started, a few housekeeping things. I want to say a big shout out. Thank you to people who support this podcast on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding platform where you can chip in a couple of bucks every month and you get early access to the podcast, so before it comes on general release. I've also started doing um, some Patreon-only interactions through there uh, in terms of direction of the podcast, uh, who I talk to, what I talk to them about, um, so you get a little bit more input over what's uh, happening in the podcast that way. Not, Not to say that it's like I'm only doing that, but... Uh, you know, you get a little bit a little bit more of a direction uh, from time to time. So that's an interesting way to interact. If you want to support through Patreon, just find me at patreon.com slash Seth Ashworth. All right, that's all I've got for housekeeping. Enjoy this episode. Peace. Welcome back to Questions You Never Thought to Ask, the Whitewater Kayaking Podcast. This week, I'm talking with industry insider and adventurous lady uh, Shannon Finch, who's the brand manager at Coquitat. Um, water sports wear, water, I don't know, water sports apparel, whatever they're meant to be called now. Coquitat Whitewater Kayaking Gear, um, which I've been using forever. So, Shannon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Seth. Good to be here. I am really excited to talk to you about kind of your role at Coquitat and how how you're involved in like design things, and especially with that recent um, like five decades range celebrating Coquitat's 50 year birthday. Um, but before we get into that, I think I want to talk a little bit more about Shannon Finch because you've got some interesting stuff going on outside of um, your input Coquitat. And could you give everyone a little bit of a run through about uh, who you are, where you're from, what you're about? Oh, sure. Um, let's see. I'm from Utah. I grew up here and still live here for the majority of the year. And um, I'm a, I got involved with Coquitat about six or seven years ago. Um, I'm a whitewater kayak instructor and I was, uh, teaching for Otter Bar Kayak School in Northern California and actually met some of the folks at Coquitat while there. So, um, kind of slowly got involved by doing some graphic design with them there, but yeah, I've got a, a big passion in, in whitewater kayak instruction and just running rivers. And then, uh, likewise, I do a lot of skiing. So I actually work full time as well doing, uh, as a backcountry ski guide here in Utah during the winter months. So, um, yeah, I feel, feel pretty fortunate that Kokatat, um, you know, sees my passion and all those things and allows me to chase those dreams while working for them as well. So, yeah. And pursuant to what you just said about skiing, you also work doing some kind of ski rescue with a, a dog. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I've, I've got an avalanche dog uh, named Leaf, and he's an English shepherd. And we worked at the ski resort, a local ski resort here for eight years together. Um, and we've since left, but we still work together in the backcountry. And he's a certified avalanche rescue dog. And it's just what, been a what pretty... Is that, what does that mean? Yeah. So Leaf is trained to find someone buried in the snow. And so as a team, we can be deployed on an avalanche, um, likely one that occurs without with the victim not having um a beacon to be found that's that's their best bet of being found but if a dog's put on scene uh we will go out and he uses his nose and i just kind of set him up for success using the winds and we we can search a site and uh he can recover somebody 
pretty quickly. It's pretty remarkable what these dogs can do. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been quite a journey working with him and, um, just understanding what dogs are able to do as far as rescue scenes go. So, uh, and likewise, he just gets to be my best little bud. I've gotten to have a really cool trust and a friendship with my dog in a way that I've never experienced before having, you know, being able to work with him on the mountain. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty, pretty neat. I think having a, uh, like a working, a working dog, like in the, you know, a lot of, I think in the current modern age, like there's not really many like proper working dogs, you know, outside of like a small, a small handful of people maybe hold dogs in that working dog niche. So it must be pretty interesting to be, to raise a dog that's also like a proper working dog still. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's been uh, quite the experience and uh, I, I've loved it for sure. Um, all right. So let's, let's circle back around here. So you used to teach kayaking at Ottobar and you're, you know, kayaking quite, quite frequently. Um, uh, okay. The, the next thing I want to talk about is middle, middle salmon, a hundred miles of wilderness self-support. Oh yeah. That's a great river. That's, have you been out there? I haven't been out there. I'm, I'm cruising. I'm, I've been cruising on your Instagram a bit lately. And I was reminded of a picture that was on there that I think Watershed shared maybe last year, um, oh, where you're yeah. like laying late. It's like an overlay view with like all the things you're going to have in your kayak for a hundred mile trip. And I'm like, hundred miles is quite a lot of kayaking. And this doesn't look like enough snacks to me. <laughs> I was totally accused of like, there's no way all that stuff fit in your boat. And I, think I got kind of creative, but I might have stuffed some of that stuff in other people's boats too. But I don't know. Honestly, that's a pretty special trip to me. The middle part right, of the salmon. Let's, actually... let's just let's take it back for people who don't know where that is or even what uh region yeah. of America that's in. Can you give us a breakdown? Absolutely. So it's kind of in the central Idaho, kind of north central Idaho. Um it's a remarkable river. It comes um out near the from the the headwaters are in the sawtooth mountain range in idaho and um it's a permitted river so it's part of the four rivers lottery so it's, it is quite difficult to get a permit especially during prime season um actually when i was in high school i was a junior in high school and i was on a trip with my family um a self-support rafting trip and we i was sitting in the raft with my dad and we had just scouted this river called or this rapid called pistol creek which is kind of one of the crux style rapids of the run and my mom was crying and we were wet and we were like why are we here i mean we're an adventurous family but i think we might have been in a little over our heads on this trip it sounds and like it. um <laughs> but i mean we were fine uh my mom is the best but anyhow so i'm in the uh, a raft with my dad and um he navigated down through the rapid and we're looking back up at the rapid and I see two kayakers come down and they were just like dancing their way down this treacherous rapid in my mind. And I'm like, what? I want to do that. So I told my dad, I'm like, next time I come on this river, I'm going to be doing that. And he was like, I have no doubt you will. So, and I did, I, I didn't learn to kayak until I was in college. Um, but I went and I guess the middle fork of the salmon is kind of has like a is a deeper question for me. It's, it really is where I fell in love with the river. And anyhow, so I learned to kayak and it was probably three or four years later that my family had another permit on that section of water. And I, I paddled my 
my own little dagger kingpin 6.2 whatever kayak it was and um I just didn't really look back from there I just kind of stuck to the kayaking and and uh yeah I've been able to do the middle fork probably a dozen times a mixture of um raft support and then self-support kayaking um, both in high water and low water that trip that you were referencing from last fall was a low water trip which is really fun because you can take really anyone down the river in an ins- we had inflatable kayaks with us we had hard shells and everyone's getting that self-support um, experience and and feeling adventurous and feeling challenged but also it's really manageable um, kind of a class three vibe at the lower water but you still get hot springs and I, I don't know, a hundred miles of just floating down the river and, and packing on your stuff in your own little boat is, I don't know. It's just that it's some kind of adventure. I think I, I, th- I just love it. There is something very satisfying about like you starting at the start with everything you have and then going for days at a time and, you know, just being dependent on the things that you have with you and then getting to the end and being like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't really need anything except what I had. And I, I don't, I don't know exactly how to qualify that feeling where you're just like, I, I'm not, I don't need anything except what I have, but it's very freeing given that like a lot of the, the day to day, you need to have a lot of things to like survive or like you need help, you know? And when you're on those little small nuggets of time, it's just like, I don't need anything else. And it's so great. It really is. And it's like I said, it doesn't have to be radical. It doesn't have to be like extreme difficulty. It's it's difficult enough just to be packing your own stuff and, and relying on you and your team. And I don't know, it's, it's pretty special. So yeah, the middle fork has a special spot in my heart for sure, whether it's those high water self-support or the, the low water ones with, with friends that have never, ever done anything like it. So yeah. A hundred miles self-support inflatable kayak trip must be that's quite the like welcome to whitewater experience yeah right exactly so yeah it's been really fun to share that with other people and uh yeah just continue continue playing on that river it's pretty what, great what's your like number one go-to meal for overnight trips um like cause how many nights know. are you out there for 100 for 100 days that's like well sorry 100 miles you're out there for like four days five days yeah, if it's lower water, um, probably six days, five nights on the low water trips. And on the high water trips, we've done it as fast as three days and two nights, you know. So, um, but my favorite, I don't know, I kind of get carried away with my food. I like to have, I like to challenge myself. I probably challenge my cooking more on trips like that than I do at home. But um, I just like to try to bring a lot of fresh produce and, you know, make up meals as I'm out there. Um, it's a little ridiculous, but when I look around at my friends that are eating, you know, freeze dried food, it's like, usually whatever I come up with is, <laughs> it seems a little more, uh, what, what do you think your most outlandish, uh, overnight meal has been given, given that you are still carrying everything in your kayak? What, what do you think has been the meal that stood out to you? as like, I can't believe I pulled this off. This is ridiculous. Um, this one will sound kind of dumb, but it's, a pizza in a pot where you make your own dough and then um it's actually not that difficult but uh yeah just throw your dough in and uh I've done it with like I've done dough with like bisquick 
mix and then just, you know, add your ingredients on top, cook it in the pot. You always burn the bottom of the pizza, but it's great. It's so good. <laughs> I I can't imagine being on an overnight a trip where someone was like, hey, I'm going to make a pizza tonight. <laughs> oh, okay. So, Seth, my very first self-support trip was the Selway River in northern Idaho. And I was, um, I had never, ever paddled with weight in my boat or anything and I had all my food which was freeze dried but I was way in over my head and there was this older guy on the trip that seemed to be kind of the the trip leader of the group and I was like Al what are you going to have for dinner tonight uh, and Al goes pizza and salad and I'm like you're going to have pizza and salad I'm like I don't I just brought like a can of beans I don't know what I'm doing here and I look over at him and he, he busts open a bag of spinach and starts eating spinach out of the bag. And I'm like, well, that's not really salad. And then he opens up a hot pocket and shucks it on the open flame of the fire, just like shucks it into the fire. And I'm like, okay, pizza and salad, got it. There's a lot of ways to do food on a, on a self-support trip. Yeah. So. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think that's I, one of the most interesting things about self-support paddling is seeing what other people have, have brought or what other people's like, like when you're at the put-in, people are like, hey, what are you bringing? And I've been on uh, overnight trips and I'm like, oh, I've got a whole cooked chicken. You're like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just going to paddle <laughs> the whole day with this whole cooked chicken in my dry yeah. bag. I was like, that smells terrible. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, but it's going to taste great in six hours. I was like, Okay. Oh my gosh, I love you're not, it. You're not yep. wrong. And and sure enough, like at the time, I ate that cooked chicken and it tasted great. And I was like, oh, this is a really great idea. Um, <laughs> and it's just, I I find that to be one of the like really fascinating things about overnighting, especially if you're like doing an overnight trip that's not super technically challenging. Like if it's that like fun class three, really scenic vibe the whole time, you can really be focused on that like lifestyle camping aspect of your trip without being like terrified of all the kayaking you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I think that's a big part of it too. And I think a lot of people are un unwilling to do multi-day trips because they don't they don't see it as that like fun adventure type deal. They're like, oh man, that looks like so much effort. And even some days I'm like, oh, I do, do not want to go on an overnight trip right now because that looks like a whole bunch of effort. And then when you think about it the other way and it's like you've got a nice weather window and the kayaking you're going to be going to be fun but not crazy, it's like, oh yeah, that's you know that's going to be a good time. Oh yeah, it it always is, and it sometimes it it's quite the chore and effort to get to the river and do all the packing and figure that all out and the logistics of shuttle and blah blah blah. But then once you're on the river and your whole little world is just in your little kayak, it's like, oh, this is this is perfect. Yeah, once you've gotten over that like first ten minutes of like, did I forget something really critical? Am I going <laughs> to figure this out in five minutes? <laughs> And once you get over that feeling of like, oh, I didn't forget anything super critical, then it's like, yeah, I find that very satisfying. Yeah, I agree. And and the way you just described that, that kind of river paddling and, you know, just kind of really straightforward class fun is really what I what I enjoy the most anymore. And it's so fun to add the added element of, of the overnight experience. And it just adds something more to the, you know, if the water's not as difficult, it's you're still having an adventure. And I think that's what I'm drawn to these days. Yeah, I think I don't like of... I don't like to be scared on the river anymore. <laughs> so I find my own adventures in other ways. Yeah, and I hope people who are 
in you know in, into kayaking but uh, the same thing they're just like i don't really want to be scared anymore they can find other avenues to like kind of push themselves in in their overnight cooking skills and their like you know camp making skills and it can really add to the experience of your river trip even if you're not necessarily like paddling at your absolute peak you know yeah yeah absolutely all right let's talk about um five decades of Kokotat. so your your role as brand brand uh, manager you're kind of involved in the design aspect as well is that correct that is correct in the sense of branding the pieces um i i work with the design team only with um kind of new color selections but really primarily my role in design is is branding the pieces so anywhere that our logo exists um is kind of my my limited role on the design of the product all right so let's talk about uh five decades collection that got released recently um which is obviously celebrating 50 years of Kokodat. what what was the start point for that like how did you all sit around the table and say we want to put something together this is what i've come up with like what was the what was the nuts and bolts process of that okay um sure the well we had just released um a limited edition the year prior if you recall with the centurion piece that we collaborated with um uh, actually a friend of mine a local artist marcus klein and that was a huge success he just crushed that and um so it was like well do we do another limited edition and in my opinion i feel like limited editions don't need to happen every year but can happen when it's time to celebrate something or um well, it should be limited it should be a very you know it shouldn't happen all the time and in my personal opinion and so it came back around in a marketing meeting which was shortly after the launch of of the last le um to say, should we do something next year? And I'm like, well, we have to, it's 50 years. <laughs> so in my opinion, it's the year to do it. So um, during that meeting, it, I was kind of tasked with developing what that's going to look like. And likewise, the sales director suggested that this be a bigger, like a collection versus a singular piece. And so that's kind of what I was handed. It was like, this is, kind of your task why don't you come up with some ideas and let's go from there so um looking at the our 50 years is kind of where i started what our history story is and actually coconut history is pretty cool um our founder steve omera founded the company back in 1971 he was working um in a shop called arcada transit authority that he had in Arcata and um, he was he started making like bivy sacks in the back room and uh, and he he branded them under the name Blue Puma. So Blue Puma is making these bivy sacks for camping I can't imagine and why that didn't catch on. <laughs> I know. And um, so he he was having some success and actually Puma Shoes came after him and was like, you can't use our name. So he got a cease and desist from Puma Shoes to not use Blue Puma as a name. And it's like, oh, okay, okay, I guess we're doing something. So he changed the name to Kokotat. And um, so as you know, in the, in the Northern California region of California, there's still a really, um, there's a, a quite a large indigenous 
people in the area. A lot of like the Yurik and the Karak tribes are still in that area. And so Kokatat's a derivative of their language and it means into the water. So I think his his pivot over to to that name is actually pretty awesome considering. Um, but he was actually, during that same time and the, the change of his name and, and direction of his company, he was approached by um, Don Banducci, who is the the founder of Yakima Racks. Um, he was in the area and Rob Lester and John Watson and Lars Holbeck. They were kind of the pioneers of of big water kayaking um, with like first descents of the Sakin and the Alsek and um, Rob Lester's influence and, and first descents on the North Fork of the Paya. I mean, these were just like guys way before their time, but they were paddling in like wool sweaters, you know? And so they were going up to try to tackle some of these rivers in, in uh, Canada and, uh, and approached Steve and said, can you make us, can you like, redesign these rain jackets to have uh, some sort of element to keep water out. So our, Steve's first pieces in the whitewater world were these splash jackets that kind of had extended neoprene on the wrist and the neck. And, and he said, yeah, here you go. And so they went and they, they went into these rivers with, with that kind of gear. And from there, it was just, Steve just didn't turn back. But he, in talking to him about this, um, this history story and, and where, how he kind of pivoted, he just said, you know, if it hadn't been for those early trips up and in, into the Stikine and the Alsec with those, with those um, expedition kayakers, he doesn't think that he would have transitioned to be in the, in the paddle sports industry. So it's pretty cool, um, you know, kind of grassroots style to his start. And uh, so looking at that whole piece, I'm like, okay, well, we've got a pretty great story here as far as, you know, our roots in this, in this whitewater world. So how do we, how can we tie that all together and really celebrate this um, collection? So I knew we had a new dry top that we were going to be launching and it didn't have a name yet. And sometimes I get to be, I get to participate in the naming of products as well. And I pitched that we named the new dry top, the Ohm, um, to pay tribute to Steve O'Meara as our founder. And uh, that name somehow won and I'm and so I was like well the ohm has to be a part of the collection so um I we had the ohm ready to go and then um we we had just done the le on the centurion pfd last year and uh we had also released our hustler pfd so I thought well the hustler is the is the obvious choice in my opinion to do something so I felt like okay we're getting a collection which was my task like we've got the ohm and the hustler very whitewater focused, which takes us back to the roots of our our beginnings with this whole story. So um, that kind of was all kind of coming together in my mind and on my storyboards, trying to pitch this idea. But then I ended up in Germany at a paddle sport expo show, and I kind of kept walking by the Dewarstone booth. And the reason was because of you, your influence with Dewarstone, Dane, Caleb everything that you guys have kind of put out into the world regarding this little brand from the UK, I'm like, I want to meet them. But I was kind of like, I don't know, intimidated or something. When I'd walk by their booth, I was like, man, I, I want to go talk to those guys. I just want to tell them their shorts look cool. And I want to know more about their program. And I want to know more about, um, 
you know, who they are. And so anyhow, I finally ended up meeting them and, and talking to Rory and Stu and drinking coffee with them. And they're just the coolest guys. And so I was learning a lot about their shorts. And while at the show, I realized that the, the life short that they have is, you know, 100% recycled, uh, recycled water bottles and recycled polyester. And it was just like, oh my gosh, you've got this wonderful short that just is incredible. And I'm feel, I was feeling a little bit like we needed something like that in our line. We needed a, a really, we needed to update our short. And so anyway, as my brain was working through this, I'm like, how would it be if we could have Doerstone do a short for us? And so I pitched that to my boss and he was like, wow, I, I like it because it kind of ties the whole collection together. So um, he gave me the go ahead to just kind of pitch that idea to, to Rory and Stu and the boys over there. And I think you know them, but they were, they were kind of taken aback by the idea. Yeah, they are, like, they are like the, the nicest guys <laughs> ever. And uh, Rory texts me like probably right after he saw you. He was like, dude, you'll never guess what just happened to me. <laughs> it was so funny. I think his words were, wow, that's completely disruptive and completely unexpected. I love it. And I'm like, yeah. awesome, because I love it too. Um, and it has, I mean, that part of the story, I mean, that just has so many facets because it's like, okay, here's this 50-year-old company celebrating what, what we're doing, but we can also celebrate and collaborate with, with this younger company that's really doing amazing things, not only in creating great products, but push, pushing the envelope in the sustainability side of things which yeah, I've been I've been trying to get Rory on on the program for so he's such a oh. hard guy to pin down. But yeah, they're doing so many things. I want to talk to him about because they're like one percent for the planet, so they donate a lot of their profits um, for like environmental charities. They planted a yep. ton of trees in the last two years. Um, yeah, the life shorts are like almost completely recycled. It's they're doing so much great stuff, um, and I. I can't wait to get Rory on to talk about it, to be honest. You have to get him on here because he's got such a great story and just is such an incredible person. And so seeing that when I met him, I'm like, I think I was, I was enamored for sure by the products and by, by their personality and, and who is Doerstone and everything I learned of them as I met him. I'm like, these guys are incredible. But then to learn their sustainability story, like you were just speaking about is even, it's like, how did you guys get this much better? And so um, when I, when I kind of circled back around with my boss about this, I kind of honed in mostly on the sustainability side of who they are um, because Kokatat's always had a, a really good push for um, a sustainability pledge within our company, which has been awesome. We have a massive solar array. In fact, the largest in Humboldt that runs our, our factory. Um, oh. We've, we've helped, Gore, actually with this new Gore-Tex that they're coming out, they've been working on about 10 years to develop a more, a less toxic laminate um, and any of the chemicals that they've used. And this new product that's coming out this year is very much um, part of that sustainability story as well. Like they're, they're making big pushes to, to be more sustainable themselves. And so um, it's just kind of cool. It just all felt like we're coming together. We, Kokatat's always been focused on making products that last, therefore, you know, reducing waste and, and also our service department, right? Like you can just keep your products alive. So, I mean, when I started to look into the sustainability side of this story, I'm like, oh my gosh, like th 
we can learn from from Rory and his team at Dewarstone. We can we can continue to push our own our own efforts into being more sustainable. And um, one of the things that we do, um, and a lot of companies do, and we're trying to get away from it, is using um, the little the plastic bags that we put some of our garments in as we ship them out to to the retails. And um, but with 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 the Dewarstone Short collab, we, we're not putting those in plastic. So we've developed like a hemp tie-up system for that short, which has really been cool because it's just like, oh, you know what? This this gives us an opportunity to to really refocus our efforts in, in even those small ways, right? Where we're where we're trying to get uh, on a on an even better program and an even um, more sustainable project for the planet. So I guess. I can get rambling, but I just think that the the sustainable side of of what Dewarstone does and who they are was such a a strong like okay this is awesome and this it just felt like it really tied the whole story together um, because it gave us an opportunity in our 50th year to kind of repledge um, our efforts on being a sustainable company and then um, through this collaboration with them on the shorts. Um, it's just very exciting. So with the design, I love everything that they do. So I kind of just handed it off to them as far as the short. And I said, what do you think? And they pitched a, a handful of ideas, some kind of conservative, some a little more radical. And in my mind, I wanted this collection to be very simple. I thought I love last year's limited edition, um, but it was quite complex, which was great, but I just didn't want to repeat. Right. So I thought, okay, let's go a little more simple. And, and so they developed the idea for this, the five waves for the five, one wave for each decade. And I was just like, Oh, I love it. So that logo became kind of our commemorative logo for the collection. And so we put that on the, the ohm dry top on the waistband, very, very subtly. And then, it's on the back of the Hustler in, in a more bold color and uh, obviously on the shorts. Um, one other fun element of the Hustler PFD, it's got the big, uh, it's got the big five decades logo on the back. But when you open up the pocket, it actually has a little blue Puma logo. So it's got the original <laughs> Coca-Cat logo and it's just subtle. It's just hidden That's in cool. there. That's a cool yeah, head nod that I think a lot of people wouldn't, they won't pick up on unless they've listened to this podcast. Absolutely. And it's not something that we like, just, we didn't tout like, Oh, and check out the pocket. There's a little tiny blue Puma. It was just like, no, let's just slip them in there. And people that know will know, and they can kind of tell that story and then, and, and just kind of go right back to the beginnings of who Kokotat is and, and uh, what Steve O'Meara did and what he's done for, for the industry. And it's just, it's pretty cool. I think it's kind of been a fun collection to to tie it all together, and um, I'm super excited about it. Just really excited. Yeah, that, about that's it. Um, having little head notes like that. Like I didn't even know about that. That's really really cool, and I think it's really important that if you're a company like Coketat that's really big in the in the kayaking space and has been big for such a long time uh, and has done so much, it's it's good to like head nod those people who who helped get it started you know and that's that's a really cool um a cool thing about having like a 50-year collection or whatever awesome yeah it's it's been pretty fun and i think steve-o is pretty excited about it and uh 
I never really talked to him about his thoughts on, on having the, the new dry top named after him, but I'm sure that he was pretty excited about that as well. So yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, like I'm sure said. he's, I'm sure he's okay with it. <laughs> it is important. It's, it's, you know, the whitewater and the, just the water world is such an interesting place. You know, you describe it to people that don't understand it and it, you, the family aspect of just being on the water with people and, um, it's all very tight knit. It's all very, it's a very small world when you start to get yourself into the whitewater community. And I've never felt more welcomed. And, you know, I, like you said, I, I've been fortunate to be able to do a lot of different things. And, and there's so many great people in, in the different outdoor industries, but the, the whitewater industry specifically is, is just so unique in, in the way that you can just be felt, you just feel at home so quickly with people that you don't know, you know? Yeah, I, I described it to someone a couple of weeks ago, actually, um, like to, to a non-kayaker friend. And I was trying to get to the, the root of like what it is that, that gets that feeling. And I think, I don't know if I'm 100% settled on this yet. I'm still thinking about it. But what I, what I, the conclusion I came to was like when you're doing, when you're involved in an activity where your life completely is dependent, not just on your actions, but on someone else being there to help you out, you develop those friendships really tight, really fast. And yeah. I don't know I, if I, I don't know if there's any other sport that's exactly like that, where you're like you're kind of individual, but you're definitely not individual, um, where you're really dependent on the other people. But I think that's why you build those those bonds so quickly. It's because you're making choices that don't just impact you, and that that can get pretty serious pretty quickly. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely something I'm going to be thinking about a little bit more. I'm going to try and circle back to in a future podcast, I think. Um, Shannon, I, this has been really great. I really enjoyed um, kind of shoot, shooting the breeze about this. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we round it off? Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. I really appreciate what you're doing. Your podcasts are so great. All the all the conversations and truly the questions I would have never thought to ask some of these some of these guys and and girls. It's been awesome to listen to and just yeah, keep you know, keep doing it. And, uh, thanks for letting me be kind of a, a small part of your, your program. It's, I feel super honored. In fact, um, Shannon, people can find you on the Instagram. How can they do that? Oh, they've got to go to shiz niddle. Shiz niddle. <laughs> yeah. I actually highly recommend following this one. If you, if you don't already person listening out there, because, uh, Shannon is doing a lot of, a lot of interesting adventures. I actually always enjoy keeping up with. So highly recommend Are you anywhere else on the, other than the gram? Uh, no, that's your, that's your I am thing. not. That's my program. Yep. Oh, and you are you making uh, gloves right now? You want to tell people about that? I am. I'm making some. I'm. I make. Um, I make mittens and hats and like those funky little snowboard hoods that Burton, Burton and DeKine have been making for years. And I just, I don't know. I've got a little 11 year old neighbor that uh, I just love, and she saw my sewing machine at the house one day. And I don't sew much. I got trained to sew throw bags for coca tap for events and she said let's learn to sew something i'm like i don't i don't know what we sew and i had one of those burton you know the snowboard hoods i had a burton hood on my kitchen counter and she said let's learn how to make one of those so that's what we did in december <laughs> and then it became a company yeah, i don't know well, that's, that's pretty how... cool so if you're looking for some little uh some little knitted uh or whatever they're called fleece um yeah hoods i don't know how you describe those things i don't like, either hoods face, hoods mask, mittens, hats. if you need something yeah. come on over yeah okay great um that's all i've got for this week thanks for listening to questions ever thought to us the whitewater kayaking podcast we'll see you in a future episode
Peace.